Girl on Purpose Radio, episode number 24. Welcome back to another episode of Girl on Purpose Radio. My name is Vivian Tenorio. I am the former CEO of Signature Flan, turned radio and TV host. And each and every weekday, you are given the opportunity to join me and my amazing guest as we share our spirited stories of our successes, our failures, as well as incredible tips and insights for starting a business and finding fulfillment. We are definitely opening up our playbooks and paving the way for you to take our lead. Thank you for spending this time with me. Now let's get started. Hey, you guys, welcome back. On today's show, I had the privilege of chatting with Rachel Hofsetter, the former food editor for Reader's Digest and O Magazine. Today, she is an author. Her book is Cooking Up a Business, and she launched a technology company by the name of Gesterly. Very, very cool company. You guys have to check it out. But she is sharing information from her book about food startups and food brands. And she's sharing her own experience as an entrepreneur and launching her company. So you guys are going to love her. She is super sweet. She is down to earth. So here you go. You guys enjoy. Hello, hello, my beautiful people. Welcome back to another episode of Girl on Purpose. On today's show, I am thrilled to have Rachel Hofsetter on the phone with me. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thanks so much, Vivian. Girl to be here. We are so excited to have you on. I put it on my Facebook page and it went crazy. Everybody like, yay, Rachel, we want to hear from her. We want to hear about her book. We want to hear about everything she's up to. So Rachel, for those of you who do not know, she is the former food editor for Reader's Digest and O Magazine. Rachel is now the author of Cooking Up a Business. She was so inspired by the entrepreneurs she wrote about that she decided to also jump into the world of entrepreneurship. And she has launched her new company, Gesterly. I'm going to give her an opportunity to tell us all about that company and all about her book. Let's get started, Rachel. So tell us this. Have you wanted or have you thought about being an entrepreneur at any point in your life? Wow. To be honest, Vivian, it wasn't in the five-year plan. It was definitely not in a larger plan. And I had a dream job. I was a food editor at places like Oh the Oprah Magazine, and I loved it. I literally got to play with food all day. And then the part of the job that you never think about is getting to meet with all these great people who have new food products. Because as a food editor, you kind of need to know what's new, what's up and coming, what's the coolest thing we're all going to be obsessed about you know, in a few months. And so I would spend a lot of time going to food trade shows and also just meeting with people at the office. And, you know, they would come and they'd say, oh, here's this amazing cookie I make, or here's my goat cheese. And I would say, tell me your story. Tell me your story. And, of course, as it turns out, as you can guess, it says stories were just as amazing as the food was delicious. And so those stories led into an article I wrote at O about great food entrepreneurs. And it was that article that, you know, as I was researching and spending a lot of time doing interviews, I said, hey, I'm really into these journeys. This is really fascinating. But it wasn't, you know, didn't make me think I had my own entrepreneurship thing at all. 
Uh, but then I turned the article into a book deal, and I spent a lot more time interviewing entrepreneurs. Some of my favorite entrepreneurs, people like Maddie of Love Their Own Foods and Cameron Hughes and Jessica Cogan of Cameron Hughes Wine, Kara Golden of Hemp Water, uh, Katrina of Vogue Hot Chocolate, Mary of Mary's Gone Crackers. Just really passionate, smart, enthusiastic people. And that is when I started to get the itch. And so even though I didn't know it yet, um, I had the itch. And so when my idea came, it was one of those things that gave me the little incentive to jump off into entrepreneurship myself. But I will say that it was just getting inspired by all these entrepreneurs that made me open to it. So not the plan, not the thing I was thinking of doing. I kind of say it's an accidental entrepreneur, but that's the best part, so. Sometimes it's not in the plan, but it really works out when you when you have the courage to go that that way. So, really quick, we have to touch on this subject because who does not want to hear about Oprah? <laughs> so I have to ask, tell us what was it like to work at O Magazine? Uh, it was the best. I have nothing but the best things to say because you get to work with you know everybody else who's the best top of their game, either. You know, doing great things with food or writing beautiful things. I think it's like anything. When you're with lots of other really smart, talented, innovative people, it's a joy. And so great people, great place to be. So a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of food, entre- a lot of entrepreneurs, really. But since we're talking about food entrepreneurs, a lot of food entrepreneurs dream of being featured in O Magazine. So when you guys were looking for stories and brands out there, what captures the attention of a food editor? So, you know, what can a small brand do to get noticed? I think, honestly, it's something new. If you're the first thing we're seeing that's new, but then what's even better is if we're seeing something that looks like a trend. And so maybe you are the first company that's making bean chips, but then you also tell us, oh, there's another company that's doing baked beans, like not baked beans, like cookout baked beans, but uh, like the crispy chickpeas that everybody's been doing where they bake the chickpeas. And then you have another example, like somebody's doing an innovative bean spread or something. All of a sudden we're like, wow, beans are having a resurgence. Like we should write something about beans. And so I think it's both being new, but then not being alone in the room. You know, it's got to be more of where is this going as a movement, as a trend, as something bigger than one category. But I think those two things are really what we're looking for is fresh and new. We just want new because we need a story to write. So new is great. So what are you seeing in the world of food entrepreneurs and food startup? Any trends? What I'm seeing a lot of right now is this luxury as a service type of businesses, which are things like Plated and Blue Apron, which are both here in New York City where I'm based. And they deliver all the components for a meal for you, but then you cook it. So they take the menu planning and the shopping and making sure you get that one sprig of rosemary and then you actually do the cooking and things like that. But anything where it's making it easier to eat great food, whether that's having a healthy soup delivered or having a meal plan delivered or an app that tells you exactly what you should eat at this restaurant, I think anything that's better for you, easier for you, space is going to be big. Let's talk guesterly. So tell us what it is and tell us what was the plan. Did you have this idea and you decided, okay, in a year, honey, we're going to save all the money and we're going to put it towards it? Or was it just let's leap and do this? 
So Destiny actually grew out of something my husband and I did for our own wedding. And while we were planning our wedding and over the course of getting married, I was also writing my talk. So you can see how these things start to align. Uh, I think I was actually doing interviews for the book on my honeymoon. That's how much my world collided here. And Gasoline was this little teeny book we made that featured all of our family and friends that were coming to our wedding. So it was a lot like, uh, you know, the Facebook you get when you start college, uh, freshman Facebook, we called it in college. And we just made it at home, printed it out, and mailed it out to all of our guests the week before the wedding. And it was really the icebreaker. It got people excited. They'd say, oh, you know, you're so-and-so. I wanted to talk to you about that trip you just took to Cambodia or something. And it was just it was great. It got people extra excited. And they were coming from all over. So it really made them feel special and appreciated and that they meant a lot to us. But that's, again, all it was supposed to be. And what happened is that our friends started calling. And they said, hey, you know, any chance you could do that thing that you did for your wedding, for our wedding? So we started doing it for our friends as their wedding presents. And then about a year ago, a friend of a friend called and said, hey, I heard about this thing that you do. Would love to pay you to do it for my wedding. And again, I think because I had written the book, was starting to think in these terms of entrepreneurs and looking out there and saying, what do people want? And we said, whoa, people want this. They're willing to pay a lot for it. And so we looked. Nobody was doing anything like it. Honestly, if they had been, we would have just hired them to do it for our wedding. And we said, wow, maybe there's something here. So we started doing it last summer on a very custom, uh, high-end basis, and we're launching literally in the next week or two a new automated software platform that makes it really fast and easy for anyone to make this, for weddings, for reunions, for special big moment birthday parties. But that is where it came from, and you see what I mean? It was just about being open to it. It wasn't what I thought I would be doing right now, but it's a heck of a lot of fun, so... It's a brilliant idea. When I was going through the website, kind of looking to see what all this was about, I thought it's brilliant. Okay, so so when you guys decided, okay, we could make this into like a real business, um, did you guys decide? I mean, what was the plan at that point? Was it just to save up and kind of take it slow or just take the leap? The plan was to put a certain not very large amount of money into it and test it on a limited basis. And that was what we did last summer. We put a minimal amount of money into a bit of branding, a website, a little bit of back-end software. But then we knew that as you could test, you know, did people want it? And we actually made a promise to ourselves that we'd give it two months, three months total, basically one month from trying it to launch and then two months after that, and be 100% ready to walk away from it if people weren't responding really enthusiastically to it. And the reason we did that is we just we wanted to see, we said, hey, what can we put out there fast and easily and see if people think this is as cool as we think it is. And that shows up in a lot of what I see in picking up a business, which is test, test, test your products with real users and customers. Because in our little bubble, everybody goes, oh, it's amazing, it's amazing. But we didn't know what the world would think. Uh, turned out the world thought it was amazing and they loved it, which is why we were able to put some more money into it and then basically build out a scaled-up version of it. But I would say if anything you do and any entrepreneur who's thinking about starting something is find a relatively small way to start first 
and then let yourself say, okay, I'm going to get some real feedback and see if people want this. Do customers want this before building out a much larger infrastructure? Let's talk about the book. The book is titled Cooking Up a Business. So you feature these 10 companies in there. Why these 10? There's so many brands out there, so many, so many amazing brands. Why did you select these 10? Well, Lydia, the first thing I did was literally sit down and make a list of the best stories I'd heard over the last you know, five years or so much. And again, I was meeting people all the time. And so for a story to be really sticky, it had to be great. And maybe it was great because they were crazy career changers. You know, they left these big technology careers to go make their goat cheese. Or maybe it was great because they were young, like Alice and Maddie, who started their college company when they were in college. Or maybe it was great just because it was so bootstrapping, doing everything at home and yet growing so huge. So I just jotted down all the stories. And then I went through and said, hey, who started in the last, you know, five to six years, maybe 10 years at most. But I wanted companies that were really current and not just current now, but that had started in the age of social media, for example, that felt like if you were reading their story, they weren't in the past. Um, and then I literally just looked for companies in that list. I then went through and said, hey, who's still primarily run by the original founder? Because I want this to be the founder's story. And a lot of great companies that we know and love are not primarily owned by the founders anymore. And so those were my three parameters. And I just went through and said, hey, at the end, I basically had my top 10 and that's who I went with. You have these 10 companies, you're hearing all these stories. Do you start to notice common mistakes that they're all kind of making? Like when you put them all out and you hear the story <laughs> and you have it in front of you, what are the mistakes that you see in every story? Oh, goodness. What a great question. It's funny how the similarities line up again and again. I think not a mistake per se, but the number one thing is everything is going to take three times longer and cost three times as much money and probably stress you out three times more than you ever thought possible. And so I think it was Phil Anson of Evil who first said that to me. But wow, I saw it over and over again is everything takes longer. And just knowing that going into it will help you a lot, a lot. The other thing, again, not a mistake, but just when it came up to it a lot is going into business with a partner and really making things clear up front. You know, if you have a partner, get the legal stuff done early, spend the time to do that right, spend the time to talk about who takes on what responsibilities. And yes, things will definitely shift and make everything fall into place better later. But uh, definitely having those talks up front is a huge. You're looking at 10 businesses and you see the story. Now, can you find the things that they have in common that make them a success? Because these the ones that you feature are very successful or they're on the way up at least. So what can you grab from each one of them that they had in common that gave them that, that extra something that made them successful? Definitely. Well, the first thing, and this is thing I keep thinking of even in my own life now, is pick something that makes your life easy as you grow. And so the story I love to tell with this is, low-grown foods. And originally they said, oh, let's make our famous pesto. 
And that sounds fantastic. And their pesto was amazing for dinner parties of 10 people. But as you grow, pesto is perishable. Every part of pesto is highly perishable. And they started doing test batches in their college kitchens. And, of course, you know, their whole entire refrigerator is filled with basil. And their roommates are not happy. And they started to think, oh, you know, once we're in 50 stores or 100 stores or 5,000 stores, this is going to be a lot harder to deal with. You're going to have to have refrigerated trucks. You're going to have to have a lot more strict expiration dates. And so they said, hey, someday we want to be big. What is going to make our life easy? And it turns out for Love Grown that that was a non-perishable granola, which they now have in, I think, 9,000 stores. And so definitely in anything you do, there are certain things that are going to be a lot easier, especially in food. It's going to be non-perishable types of things. Um, even if it's perishable, it's going to be non-meat. I will tell you that meat has so many regulations. And so if you have a meat product, especially if it's a perishable fresh meat product, be prepared that you're going to have a lot more roadblocks down the road. Again, if you can do that, that's great because you won't have as much competition. But definitely know that that's going to be a lot harder. And then the second big thing I see is the people who really win on this. They test, they test, they test. They take it out to real consumers. They demo it everywhere. And they don't just demo. They listen. And they take that into consideration, what people say, and they make tweaks and they make changes and they come back out and they give the customers what they want. And finally, and this might be the absolute biggest thing, is they bring their enthusiasm. And they say, we love this. We believe in it. We have so much energy for this. We are never going to stop believing in this. We are going to work 100 hours a week. We are going to be so, 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 so excited. <laughs> and they make everybody else believe that as well, that this is the best thing in the world. And that's what you need because food at its heart is almost a commodity. And you have to say, this is amazing. This is super special. So, again, pick something that makes your life easier as it grows and then test and finally bring your enthusiasm. These companies that you featured in your book, you probably love them all equally, but was there <laughs> one was there one story that you heard or when you were doing research, when you were talking to these founders that moved you and you thought, you know, this entrepreneur world is kind of interesting now. I'm kind of I'm kind of getting pulled in. Well, I think there are three entrepreneurs that are very inspirational. And that is the people who started Love Grown, uh, Justin, who started Justin's Nut Butters, and Phil, who started Evil. And the reason I love all three of those is they started with nothing. You know, they were all essentially right out of college, no connections, no business experience, really just, you know, guys and girls making something in their kitchens and saying, let's do it. And what I love about that is that anybody can be a food entrepreneur. I seriously believe it. And anybody can be an entrepreneur. And they just went out there with a lot of determination, a lot of hustle, and a lot of enthusiasm. And so those do resonate a lot with me, I think, because of the youth and that there's no excuses. You know, if they can do it, anyone can do it. When they're that inspirational, people get connected to the story and then to the product. And then you start to get momentum from from that that thing that everybody's feeling, they feel your energy and your passion and people get really attracted to your brand. So can you share with us now you are an entrepreneur 
Can you share with us maybe an obstacle that you maybe you were not expecting as an entrepreneur launching your own company? Great question. I think what nobody tells you is how all-encompassing it is. And believe me, I actually thought from writing the book that I knew how hard it was going to be. You know, I put these stories of blood, sweat, and tears on paper, and I, you know, told them and shared them and made these stories eloquent and beautiful. And I thought I knew in my gut how hard it was going to be. And I can say this now, and all the entrepreneurs out there will be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we get you. And all the people who aren't entrepreneurs will be like, well, you're just telling us blood, sweat, and tears, hardest thing you've ever done. Uh, it was kind of like being sucker punched. It's all encompassing hard. I actually called out some of my friends who were in the book and I was like, you didn't tell me. And they're like, sure, we told you. Sure, <laughs> we told you. And so not to scare people, but it, it's almost everything. It's that it never ends. It's that you're risking so much. You're not risking everything, let's be honest, but you're risking a lot. You're risking your reputation. You're risking your time. You're risking your money. You're risking, goodness, all your not gray hairs. You're risking <laughs> your health in some ways. You just literally go out when you don't eat as well as you should. You don't sleep as well as you should. You definitely don't take those vacations they recommend that you should. You don't do yoga as often as you should in any way, shape, or form. But it's also all worth it because you get to build and create something that you really love and believe in. Yes, yes. I love that. Sucker punched. I love, that's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so if you could give a tip, I'm going to ask you this question two different ways, but if you can give a tip to someone who's been bitten by the entrepreneurial bug, but they're wanting to jump into something completely different. So kind of like you, you were a food editor and now you're in a technology company. So what tips could you give to someone who's jumping into the entrepreneurial world for something completely different from what they were doing? I think I have two separate answers to this, and it depends how comfortable and how much you know about the area you're going to do. If you are already somewhat in it, if you have, say, a, you know, experience. For example, I had already spent a lot of time writing about entrepreneurship, so I kind of felt like I had at least my big toe in the world. But first, let's say you don't have that. First thing I would say is start chiseling your way in. Do little things. A, read, meet with people. Start going to meetups in that area. Start trying it out. Make sure that you really have a passion for it. Because then once you're pretty sure that you care about this a lot, is I would say get started this weekend. And I think the biggest thing that stops people is thinking they're going to do it you know, next weekend, next month, when they have more time. And guess what? You know the answer to this. You never have more time. It never calms down. And so I would say just carve out a weekend and get going with it. Um, when I decided to write my book, when I said, hey, I thought this would be a good book, I literally just chopped off the next weekend. I canceled all my plans, and I spent the next two weekends writing my book proposal. And I think if I hadn't done it right then, I would have talked about it for years. Oh, this book I want to write. But instead, literally just say, you know, next weekend, cancel your plans, get started on Saturday morning. And by Sunday night, you'll have an awful lot done. You can think about branding. You can test your products with friends. You can set up a website or whatever you need to set up like that. And once you have a little bit of momentum, it's a lot easier to keep going. 
And of course, you can run that as a side hustle. You don't have to turn into a full-time business and quit your job or anything. But it gets you out the door and moving. Right. And I, and I think a lot of people don't think about that. Keep your job. Like, you know, nobody says quit your job. You can always do this on the side. And that is usually ideal. You don't feel that much pressure. You still have your job. You don't feel exactly. desperate. Yeah. So that is. I, I mean, I wrote my whole book while I had a full-time job and everything too. And a lot of that just carving out. I would carve out two hours most mornings and one weekend day, you know, either Saturday or Sunday. And think about your business idea that you want to start like that. You know, if you get up at 5 a.m. two mornings a week and spend Saturday or Sunday working on it, it will get to a point where then you just have more information. You know, is this something that people want? Is this something that you really love doing? And so the more information you can get while you still have a steady paycheck, the better. Would you have the same tips for a food entrepreneur, somebody that wants to sell their cupcake or their granola? Same tips? Oh, 100%. I actually think that food is a great, great thing to do as a side hustle because you can take it out and sell it at a farmer's market. You can bring it to a couple stores at a time. Most of the food entrepreneurs in cooking up a business actually would you know, bake at night and do another job during the day for quite a while. Rachel, you rock. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been so much fun. Oh, I love this. Tons of fun. You asked great questions. Tell the listeners how they can find you and how they can connect and find Guesterly. Oh, great. So I'm at Twitter at Rachel Hoffy, R-A-C-H-E-L-H-O-F-F-Y. And I share lots of entrepreneurship fun things over there as well as delicious food stuff. And then Guesterly, which is G-U-E-S-T-E-R-L-Y. Give it a Google. And finally, cooking up a business, which I think is just a lot of fun. People say it's a fast, easy read so with lots of fun tips. And that is available wherever books are sold. So take a look at all of them, and I would really appreciate it. Perfect. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure having you on. You have a good night. You too. Bye, Vivian. Bye-bye. All right, all right. That was my interview with Rachel. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Girl on Purpose. Do not forget to stop by my website, viviantenario.com. There in the show notes, I will have all of the links back to Rachel so you guys can find her, connect with her, follow her on Twitter, find a guesterly. Also, don't forget to leave me a review on iTunes if you have a moment. That is a way that you can give back to me and I would so appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming back. I hope to see you guys tomorrow.